This is an SM Media production. Hi everyone and welcome to the debut episode of the question session right here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPide, I'd be your host as always. A very special show lined up. This is the debut episode. I'll just explain briefly what the show is going to be. We're going to open the floor to everyone that's asked a question via social media. I reached out the other day and asked for questions and got an amazing response as always. We're going to just basically cover a, a, a wide range of subjects. We've got a, a load of questions on about different subjects. So we're going to just start really now. What will happen going forward is hopefully we'll be able to get some guests on and they can obviously go back and forth with me on questions. But just a try run. We're just going to see what it's like and see how if people enjoy it. And we'll hopefully get more episodes going forward. But we'll start with the first question here comes from John Cunningham. What do you think of the current pyramid set up in Scottish football and should more teams be relegated and promoted throughout the leagues? I'm really enjoying the new pyramid set up. I think it's been a long time coming. I think as well, the thing that impresses me about it is there's a lot more teams like the Celtic Hearts, Cove Rangers, Edinburgh City that have been able to go up the leagues and try and kind of go in with the, the bigger teams in the SPFL. What as well is, and this maybe is a bit disrespectful, but there's a, te- a few teams in the, the SPFL who've maybe been there too long and are kind of back down to the Highland League, Lowland League places, like things like that, like where they, where they probably should be. And hopefully as well with the addition of the West clubs and the kind of east of Scotland, south of Scotland, there's more clubs going to go up. We're going to be in for a, few, a good few years. The Lowland League's obviously got a few clubs as well who probably deserve to have their chance in the next level. But it's going to be interesting. But I'm a big fan of it, and I hope we, we do see a lot more promotion stories and a lot of you know, up and downs and things like that, because it makes it more exciting. I mean, we go back to years ago when the likes of East Stirling were sitting 10th for 10 years in a row and nothing would really be... They wouldn't have a relegation. I've always said, if you finish bottom of the league, you should be relegated to the, the level below because you've, you've not competed at that level very well so you should be going to the bottom level different subject Jim Parker what's your opinion on CM Punk returning to the wrestling ring after what he says is 16 years off I am really looking forward to CM Punk being back in a, a wrestling ring I know when you're saying 16 years off it means that he's probably not carried his WWE running that but the way to look at it is does he get that reaction if he's not in the WWE I mean it was one of the craziest reactions I've ever seen in any sport I don't care what anybody says it was up there with with Michael Jordan. It was Michael Jordan-esque in Chicago, as they say. Like, it was it was great. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens. I know he's in a feud with Darby Allen. You know, we're going to see that in uh, All Out. That'll be good. He mentioned last night in his promo and Dynamite, how he's looking forward to working with the likes of Jungle Boy and the, the Lucha Brothers. There's a lot of guys he can work with there in AEW. It's, it's a stacked roster and CM Punk. Hopefully, there's not a lot of ring rust. I don't imagine there will be. I think he'll be... I saw him training with... Tommy End, and that that's another match I'm looking forward to seeing as well. There's a lot of great matches that he can have, but I don't think there'll be much ring rust. I think there could be several years of punk left in the tank, and I hope we see a better... I, I hope we see him more happier than, than he was in WWE because obviously there's a bit more creative control. A guy like CM Punk will probably be allowed to work with who he wants because he's a marquee name, and there just seems to be a bit more kind of flexibility for likes of Punk and obviously Daniel Bryan, who thinks who I think will probably be there sooner rather than later. There'll be a lot more creative freedom for them to work with who they want. So that'll be good. I'm really looking forward to Punk. And it's a long time coming, but I'm really excited to see what comes next. Callum McClurkin, which horse are you looking forward to seeing the most when the new jump season starts in earnest? Uh, I've got two. I'm really looking forward to see how Kilcrook 
okay, goes over hurdles. I'm looking forward to seeing how he adapts. Given a bad ride in the champion bumper, but I think he's going to be probably a supreme horse, maybe even go further. And obviously, I'm looking forward to seeing Honeysuckle again. She's just a different level. I think she, she could win the next three champion hurdles. I think she's that good. Me and Callum have debated in the past whether Honeysuckle should go over fences. I personally think maybe she probably could go the Gold Cup route in the future. Callum's very adamant that she's she's better off staying over hurdles. The more I think about it, yeah, I think he's probably right. I think staying over hurdles, trying to go for that two or three in a row would be an amazing achievement. So I hope we see Honeysuckle back to her best. Still unbeaten, I hope we see Honeysuckle back to her electric best next season. Kai Skiok, do you believe the gap between the big two in Scotland and the chasing pack is starting to close over the last few seasons? Not overly. I mean, you still see the big gap Celtic Rangers have between the rest of the league. I think the likes of like Aberdeen Hibs are bringing in better players. Like you see, like Hibs bringing in a few good players. Aberdeen, obviously, Scott Brown goes there, brings them, makes them a better team. Even if he's not the player he was five years ago, he's still his leadership still makes him a better player. So that's, I think it's going to be, it's tough for those those teams to be competitive. I think the closest I can remember a team coming to break in the old firm was Hearts with, with Burley in 2006. And that just fell off a cliff. Obviously, Burley left. There was a lot more external factors that caused that. But that's the closest I've remembered. I don't think we'll see that anytime soon with the, the gap in budget between Celtic Rangers and the other teams. Uh, again, it's, it's up to the if these clubs go in and spend a bit of money. I know the money's hard to come by. I don't know if they'll be able to, but it's good to see that the league's a bit more exciting as well because you've got the likes of Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts, even St. Johnston, obviously won two cups. There are teams below Celtic Rangers who are making some noise. Do they get to that next level? I don't think so, but it's good to see them kind of compete with each other because it's not the same as like years ago when Hearts were always going to finish third and Aberdeen have always finished second and third in the past few years. So there's a lot more excitement. So that'll be good. George Ennis, name the name the winners of the top four divisions in Scotland. Premiership, I still think Rangers will have enough. I think their squad's just a bit better than Celtics. I think Celtic have been outstanding the past few weeks. They've been scoring goals for fun. But I just think Rangers have got enough to to win the league in the long-term season. Championship, Kilmarnock, I think, will be hard to beat. Inverness have made some noise, but I just think Kilmarnock have bought really well. A few really good players in there. I just think Kilmarnock will have enough. League One's probably the hardest one to predict because there's probably four teams that could win it. You've got Falkirk, Cove, Queen's Park, Alloa. I think Cove, for me, I just think they've got the best team. You've got Mitchell Meganson and Rona McAllister there. I mean, they're, if they're scoring goals, I think any team's going to struggle against them in that league. So I've got Cove Rangers winning League One. League Two, Kelly Hearts. I think they've, their budget's far better than everybody else's they're, they've got a brilliant team Nathan Austin's there Jamie Berjonis Joe Cardo as well Joe Cardo's probably one of the best pickups in the, the league for a long long time picking him up for from Partick Thistle was a great piece of business and as well we've got Wilson's best mate Andy Barham in there as a sporting director so they'll be sorted but I, I do think all joking aside I do think Kelty will win that league comfortably so Rangers Kilmarnock Cove and Kelty for me Ollie Jenks, has the football bubble burst in terms of transfers? Only a few clubs can afford the top players and we've seen a players a rise in players running their contracts down. Does this change the contract style in future, the new Bosman movement perhaps? I think the bubble was always going to bust. I don't think it's bust yet, but I think we're slowly beginning to see the effects of like of Brexit and obviously COVID. I don't think we'll see the effects of COVID for a good few years in terms of money. But well, we, 
maybe to a lie we have maybe seen it in Spain, but we'll come on to that later on with a question about that. I just think it's hard for like the top, unless you're Man City, PSG, and a normal year Barcelona and Real Madrid, it's hard for clubs to compete for big players. I mean, we've seen with Harry Kane. Harry Kane's probably desperate to leave Tottenham, but because there's not a lot of teams that can afford that fee, and obviously Tottenham will play hardball and things like that, and Tottenham don't really want to sell. It's hard for clubs unless they're going to put in a silly offer to, to compete with that. So I do think we'll see a, a effects in two years. I don't think we've seen it just now. There's still a lot of big big deals taking place. Obviously, Lukaku to Chelsea for $100 million, that's still crazy money when you think about it. I remember when Christian Vieri signing for Inter Milan for $30 million was like the biggest deal in the world. And you, you go back to times like that and you think like that was only 20 years ago. Like how how's it changed since then? It's simple. TV money, TV money's went through the roof and have owners. Like you've got owners of the, the richest clubs in the richest countries in the world. So they're going to spend money. They're going to make, I mean, Man City have spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds probably into the billions now. So it's it's going to be interesting to see that. I think in the next few years you'll see some some kind of quietness and when it comes to that. I don't think you'll see as silly wages as you see now. I mean, I think the the messy things kind of made a, made a lot of clubs realise you can't throw away that kind of money. Not that, I'm, not that you're throwing away money at Messi. He's probably the best player of all time, but Barcelona have put themselves in a really bad position. So... Something will probably be done when it comes to contracts. I mean, I think there's a even Mbappe, Mbappe's got four months left. He's probably going to leave maybe in a free because not, I don't think Real Madrid will buy him this summer, but I think they'll say him in a free in January. It just shows you how crazy the market is right now. And I, I don't know if it will I don't know if it will change anytime soon, but I think once we see how the effects of Brexit work, how COVID has impacted big clubs financially you will see a big difference in transfers. I don't think we'll go back to like 30 million for a, the bit of the Ballon d'Or one, and I don't think that will happen, but I do think you'll see a bit of a, a sugarly peg for a few years when it comes to transfer fees. So I think we might see some like the Bosman, like the new Bosman Newman, like you can leave a year after, you can leave a year before your contract for a certain amount. Something That's probably the case already with something, but you'll see something like that. You'll see a new rule in place to kind of avoid that becoming more regular. Stephen Nichol, thoughts on your new additions to the Scotland squad? I like the fact that Xander Clark and Liam Kelly are in. I, there's a question about that later on, but I do think we're seeing more of a, a look towards the future. You've got likes of Parson in there, Gilmer, Turnbull, Nisbet. They're probably, I would probably start the majority of them going forward. I mean, I know, I don't think that Donald's in the squad, but Lewis Ferguson's in as well. I don't, I don't know if Lewis Ferguson's going to be a starter for Scotland in the next qualifiers, but there's a lot of a lot to look forward to if you're a Scotland fan. And I think there's a few really, really exciting players. Gilmer's probably the main one, but there's a lot to look forward to. And I think the goalkeeper situation, I would imagine Gordon will start. I think Gordon's probably going to be the next, the number one for the next year or so. And, and Kelly and Clark get experience. I've always been a big fan of Liam Kelly, but I think we'll see those guys getting a bit more experience in the setup and then we'll move on, they'll move on to the next level. But I'm really looking forward to seeing how Scotland adapt. The tough, tough, tough couple of games against the likes of Denmark as well. Obviously a terrific European campaign for European Championship campaign for them. So I am looking forward to seeing how this new Scotland squad works. And I think it was probably the right call to give Clark a new contract. So you could probably criticize a couple of his decision making at the Euros, but He's probably the best man to lead this team for the next couple of years and try and get to Qatar. I think they're more capable of 
or reaching Qatar, the World Cup. I really do. I think they've they've got a hard group. If they finish second in that group, they're going to the Nations League playoff. They've got a chance, a second chance of qualifying. I think they're more than capable of that. But I'm, I'm impressed with the, the new changes to the squad. So I hope it's, we see a bit of an upturn for this team. Michael Buchan, with the introduction of the World Handicap System to the UK and with more plus handicap golfers than ever before, is a plus two handicap the new scratch? Yeah, it probably is. I mean, I don't think that, I don't know about this, how this handicap system fully works. I haven't read into it as much as other people, but I, I mean, it seems to be. I mean, there's a lot of golfers when, before I left the, the golf shop were telling me how much they went down, and I was like, it's. They were never that before then. So, obviously, it's changed for the better for them. Whether it uh, works out, I don't know. I don't. I don't know the reviews on it so far. What I've heard is it hasn't. It's been kind of not the best received. But I think it's like everything else. Once you get used to it, you kind of learn to live with it. So that'll be interesting to see. I don't really know how it works though. So I can't really comment much more than that. Chris Murphy, is Billy Gilmore one of the best young players to play in Europe at the moment? And if so, who would you compare him to to it for his age, past and present? Uh, probably the kind of closest comparison to me is probably maybe Frankie de Jong, presently. I think he's very similar in that regard. I don't think there's many players like Billy Gilmore who could have had a game that, that he did against England. He absolutely controlled that midfield. I think he was probably the biggest reason Scotland got something out of that game. He just, he was, his ball retention was brilliant that night. I think he was probably the best player on the park from both sides. Past, I think the obvious comparison is probably Barry Ferguson because he's kind of similar, similar idea of playing. But again, it's hard to. I would. I don't know if he's one of the best players in Europe, young wise at the moment. But I certainly think he's got potential. I think going to Norwich is maybe going to help him. I don't know if he could maybe. I went to a bigger club in the Premier League, which I know Norwich. I don't really think they're going to do well this season. I think they're probably. My, one of my picks to go down for the Premier League so is he going to thrive in a team like that I don't know but he's certainly worth it's, it was certainly the right call for him to go out and get a season and when you see that Chelsea team he's probably not going to be a starter every week at Norwich he is so he's going to get that game time he's going to get that Premier League experience so I don't think he's the best player in the world right now in terms of young players I think there's that like Pedri I would probably say Pedri probably goes into that equation but He's certainly up, up there in terms of potential. I think he's got the potential to be the next star in Scottish football. I think he already is. But if you ask me, I don't think he's there yet. I think he's got a bit to find. But I've always been a huge fan of Billy Gilmore. I remember going back to when, when he was 15, watching him in a victory shield game against Northern Ireland. And he wasn't as known. He was at Anke, just come through at Rangers at that point. And you could see just there, just his, his attitude. He's got a tremendous attitude as well. I've been fortunate to meet him a couple of times and he's always with a tremendous attitude. He just loves football. And that's that's one thing I like about young players. If they love the game and they, they think about the game nonstop, then they're usually going to thrive on it. And if they just have the right attitude, nine times out of 10, they're going to succeed. So here's hoping Billy Gilmore makes it. I'm a huge fan of him. Tommy Griffin, with Scotland's World Cup qualifiers just around the corner, do you think this is a competition we must qualify for to keep momentum going? Could it be a case if we if we don't qualify, then it'll probably be another 20 years before we wait for another major tournament? No, I don't think they need to qualify. I think when you look at who's in front of them, I mean, the Euros, they didn't qualify for the last 16. There's only 13 teams make the Euro 
there was only 13 teams qualify out of Europe for the World Cup. So realistically, they, they can't, they're not expected to qualify. So I would imagine, I think building towards the future, I would be aiming more for, I don't, I think they're more than capable of qualifying for the World Cup. But what I would say as well is, you've got enough players there. You, you, they will make a World Cup in the next eight, the, the next three World Cups. I think Scotland will qualify for at least one of them. So there's not, it's not going to be, oh, we'll be waiting another 20 years. Nah, I don't think so. I think there's enough talent coming through, like likes of Parson, Turnbull, Gilmer, goalkeeper as well. You've got, I mean, there's boys at Man City. I forget the guys, the boy's name at Man City, but there's a lot riding on him. I think he could be the next big goalkeeper for Scotland. You've got Kevin Nisbet, you've got Lyndon Dykes, you've got a few really, really exciting players going forward. So I don't think they must qualify for this World Cup, but I certainly think they can. But I think they'll be at least heading to a World Cup in the next 10 years or so. So, yeah, I mean, but, but be positive, Tommy. Be positive. We could be heading to a World Cup very soon. Michelle Breeden, what is your best start in football living in the world right now? Right, I wrote this down because I looked at this question and I probably couldn't have thought of this off the top of my head, but I've went with Jan Oblak and Nets. I think he's probably the best in the world right now. It was a toss-up between him and Neuer. Right back, I've got Alexander-Arnold. I think his delivery is probably not the best defensively, but I think his delivery, I would have him on my team all day long. Left back, Alfonso Davis at Bayern Munich. I think he's outstanding. His progression is probably up there with the best in the world right now, coming from the MLS to now be the one of the top players in, the, in Bayern Munich's side, so I would have him in it. Virgil van Dijk straight in in centre-half. Marquinhos at PSG is also there. I think he's probably became one of the most consistent players in the world in the past couple of years, particularly in the defensive position. Midfield three, Kante straight in. I wouldn't have a team without Kante in it. Same with Kevin De Bruyne. I put Frankie de Jong in, but it was a toss-up between him and Kimmich, who everybody that watched the Euro show will know how big a fan I am of him. But de Jong, I think, just offers something else. I think you might see de Jong become one of the the top men for Barcelona this season. I think one is kind of his limelight will shine through. Obviously, with Messi no longer there, you might see like I said the young thriving as well, getting forward a bit more and scoring a lot more goals. Front three, Messi and Ronaldo are in without question. And striker, I have went with Erling Haaland, who, if anybody knows me, knows that Erling Haaland is my favourite player in the world right now. Just some of his some of his power, just his power and his shots, his finishing, he's got everything, head and ability. Touch is actually so underrated. Just everything about Haaland I love. So Erling Haaland for me would be the top player in the world right now in terms of potential. And I just think he's different class. I just think he's the best finisher in the world. So that would be my start of living and all right now in the world. So doing your report, well, David Neil, since doing your reports in the junior game, who has been the best side and the best player you've been to watch? Best side I've seen so far are probably the Buffs, Cohen and Rangers. They, I watched them away to Bonneton and they were really, really impressive. They were, I think they were only 1-0 up at half-time, but just when they, they scored the second goal in the second half, they just turned on the style. I thought they were terrific. You could argue they, didn't, they weren't playing against the best team in the league, that's fair enough, but they, they can only beat what's in front of you and I thought they were outstanding. The best player I've seen, there's a few. I have put Del Esplin, I think that's how you pronounce his name, at Pollock, I thought he had a terrific game when I watched him against Hurlford. I would also say Daryl Meggett, who we're going to have on the show tonight on the Scottish Football Show Extra. He's just a class above at times. You just see he's, he's so far ahead of everybody else at times when it, in terms of intelligence. You just see it shine through. I think he's a terrific player. Uh, who else? 
I really like, as a friend of the show, he's been on before, Jamie Martin at Irvin Meadow. I thought he's, I've watched them a couple of times. He's had a really good game in both. So, Kowinin would be the best team. And I would say Dale Esplin at Pollock, Daryl Mega and uh, Jamie Martin at Meadow. They're the three players I would say were my, the best so far I've seen. Jeff Reed, do you think the open golf will ever go back to Tunbury? I don't think it will anytime soon. I think we all know why. I think because, as everybody's kind of rightly said, that's t- that spoke about it, the go- if it, the golf was held at Tunbury, it wouldn't be about the Open Championship. It would be about the owner. And you can look at that one or two ways as well. I know that I'm not a fan of Donald Trump's politics at all. That's a, a different issue for a different day. But the job he's done at Tunbury is outstanding. If anybody hasn't been and seen the job he's done at Tunbury, just go and have a look. Go and play it. If you've got an opportunity to play it, snap. Bite, bite the guy's hand off. Whoever's taking you, take it. Because it is one of the best courses in the world. But the problem you've got is, is it wouldn't be about the Open Championship. It would be about... And even if, if Donald Trump was... I would imagine Trump would go to that. If it was at Tunbury, you wouldn't be able to focus on the golf. It would be about Donald Trump. And after the, the incident at the start of the year and what's... What his, what his allegations have been and things like that, you can't do that to the Open Championship. It's too prestigious. You can't make it about Donald Trump. I know the PGA in America have followed suit. They've, it was, I think next year's PGA was meant to be held at his golf course in New York. I think that's obviously changed now and it's obviously for the same reason. It's a shame because everybody knows, I mean, especially when you're first or like me, Tunbury's, when the Open's at Tunbury, I'm, I'm there. I go every... I mean, 2009 was at Tunbury. I was probably my favourite Open I've been to. It was just an amazing, amazing day, an amazing week. I was at it. I was a year Tom Watson nearly won it. But the course is outstanding. So I think the pros will, will probably feel that a lot more because I think they all want to play Tunbury. But you can't open it up to a, a media circus, which is what, what it would be. But I hope something gets done about it. I know it's probably not going to happen anytime soon, but I would love to see the Open back at Tunbury. It's probably my favourite course in the Open Rota, so it would be good to see that back at Tunbury, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Paul Gordon, how have you found your first year doing SM Media and what has been the best part of it? I found it amazing. Uh, it's 90% positive, 10% negative. Obviously, you get a lot of negative feedback, things like that, but the, the positives far out, far outweigh that. And I've kind of learned that in the past few days when I've been kind of thinking about it a lot more. The best part about it for me has been the ability to meet a lot of new people. I mean, there's a lot of people now that I talk to that I didn't talk to a year ago who I've got to know and become friends with. That's a really good part for me. The best part about it as well is talking to a lot of, a lot of people in different walks of life. Like you're talking to footballers, golfers, wrestlers and things like that. You're talking to people, I mean, the mental health thing. I know that's probably going to be coming back soon. I've just been kind of working out how to, how to do that. Sure, that's a difficult show for me to do because I don't really know if it's the sort of thing I should be hosting. I think there's probably better people out there that, that would do a better job of it. I don't know about that. I don't, that's again, something for, for me to think about, but I absolutely love talking to people. I, about their, their stories as well. I love hearing stories about things. I love doing the podcasts and things like that. It's a lot. I love having a laugh. I love, what I like about it is, what pleases me about the channel so far is the amount of people who say it's part of my week now. Like, doing the shows, if they're, yeah, I listen to the shows every week, things like that, that's that's a huge positive for me to hear, I love things like that, but I've loved doing it, it's going to be a, 
a bit weird in the next few months, obviously, juggling a, a media channel, a job and a, a new baby. So that's going to be really interesting to see how I, I manage to juggle it all. But right now I'm loving it. It's a lot of it has been it's it's stressful. I've, I think it's I think everybody that does kind of media channels will agree with that. It's a stressful thing to do, but it's finding the time. And right now I'm trying to find the time as much as possible. But I'm absolutely loving doing it. It's I can't believe it's been a year already, but hopefully we can build on that and reach to the next level. Obviously, maybe advertising for sponsors and things like that. That's the kind of next step we want to go down. But yeah bringing out your shows as well. And I've said it's an SME does an open door. If you want to come on and do a show on your own, you want to be part of anything, then send me a message. We'll see, we'll take it from there. We'll see what's we'll see what we can do. We can it's an open door. I don't I want to give people opportunities to to come on shows and chat and things like that. At the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're not we're not I'm not the first person to say oh we need to be set a certain way. I want people to just come on and have a laugh and talk about things that they want to talk about. That's what the channel's for. I know it says SM Media, but it's called SM Media because I couldn't think of a better name for it. If you can think of a better name, then all means send it over. But that's the way it is now. It's going to be SM Media for the time, for as long as I probably want it to be. But it's definitely going for There's a lot planned. I keep saying that. There's a lot planned. There's going to be a lot more stuff happening over the next few months. So, yeah, it's been amazing. I absolutely love doing it and long may it continue. Robbie Henderson is the new West of Scotland set up a better or worse standard than the previous junior leagues. I think it has to be better. I think right now it's the standard probably won't be as good because there's probably teams in it that probably shouldn't be at the top league. That's maybe a bit disrespectful. I don't mean it to be disrespectful, but there's once I think next year you will see a lot more changes when it comes to kind of 16 team leagues and things like that. I think you'll see a lot more competitiveness. But I think it's a good setup. I think it's the absolute right thing to do going to that next level. So, yeah, I'm hoping that the West of Scotland becomes, in the next two or three years, a really, really established league. I think they're doing a, an excellent job so far. I think, as always, with any new project, it could be better. But, again, that's for the next few years to, to work out how they do that. Tone F Photography, do, we, do you think we need changes at grassroots level of Scottish football to benefit the national team in years to come? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's got to be more done. I think you've got to get people playing more football. I mean, there's a lot of, I, I mean, you see it, for example, you got you drive by like public parks. I know when I, when I was young, there's a lot of people playing in public parks. You don't see that enough now. I think that's because in terms of facilities, I think they're slowly beginning to change that. I think you're seeing a lot more different things. But I think once we get out of COVID and once we get back to a sense of normality, I think there will be a lot more done because I think a lot of more people in the past year have been coming up with ideas. I know we spoke about it in the show, what can be done differently. But I think in the next year, you might see a lot more progression. I think the biggest thing for me is, and I've said this for years, and people have agreed with me and disagreed with me, there needs to be a better level of coach. And that's not, I, I know right now, it's in terms of time and all that, it's tough to find. But you really, I think you only get better at football if you're getting coached by people who've who know what they're talking about. I mean, I've been, I'm not saying I'm, I was a terrific football player when I was young, far from it. But I didn't really feel as if the coaches I had really knew, really had that experience and gain. And that's, I'm a bit ashamed to say that. I don't mean any disrespect by it, but. I think yeah, once if coaching giving you, if you're getting coached and giving proper advice and life lessons more than anything, then you will feel it, you will feel the benefit of that. And I think that's one thing we need to see going forward and 
particularly in football, when particularly at a young age. Judy, if you had a dinner party and could have three sports persons attending dead or alive, who would they be and why? Uh, Tiger Woods would be straight in. Tiger Woods, best sportsman of all time. Best, most. Michael Jordan would be the exact same. The two most competitive freaks of nature in sports history. That's exactly why they're straight in. Plus, the stories would be amazing. Uh, the Last Dance as well. That's I would urge anybody to... If you want to know why Michael Jordan's in there, watch that documentary series and you'll find out why. Tiger Woods as well, just the, the intensity of Tiger Woods when he was... Well, I, I grew up with Tiger Woods playing golf at the, the top level and that's why he's in my, my dinner for three. Michael Schumacher would probably be the third one. I'm a huge fan of him. I, again, like Tiger and Michael Jordan, grew up with them, grew up with them dominating their sport. So they would be, they, they three would be straight in for me. Ayrshire Gels, do you think junior football will now die in this format? As a former manager in boys' clubs, Sunday League, amateur and junior, I question the future. I was first-hand at seeing how hard to maintain clubs financially and with players. I think that's the purpose of the new West of Scotland system, is to, to kill the idea of junior. I think they wanted to get away from that name. I've spoke to a few clubs and that's why they, they did it. They want to get away from the junior and progress to the next level. That's why they're doing it. I like the fact of keeping the Junior Cup to do that. I think that you still want that wee bit of remembering your roots and things like that. So I hope the clubs that have committed to the Junior Cup this year, they continue to do it for the next few years. I know they like Sir Talbot and things like that. They will probably do it because of their historic you know, success in that tournament. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the plan with that. I, don't, I think it's to get away from Junior. So we'll see like, like Sir, more clubs progressing. But... They'll, I think they'll remember their roots. I mean, a lot of clubs have still committed to the, the Junior Cup and things like that. So, yeah, I think it was the right time as well because I, I, I think like clubs like Talbot and Clyde Bank and Pollock and things like that, they wanted to progress up the leagues. They see those clubs. I mean, the, you look at Celtic Hearts being the perfect example. Celtic Hearts have done it. Why can't they? So that's why I think they've done it. So, yeah, I think I think that will be the, the, sub, the reason it's done. But... They're still remembering their roots, which is a good thing. Alistair Johnson, when watching women's football, is it refreshing to see hardly any diving and play acting? Do you think the men's game should learn from them? Refs get tougher or will the women adopt the same attitude as the men? Eh, I hope not. I think, like, it's probably going to be tough to say this, but I think with women's football, I think with men's football, it's done mainly for show, with the, the kind of play acting and things like that. I think you see that now more, more often than not, but... The women's football right now, the women's football landscape looks amazing. I think there's a lot more coverage coming its way. I really hope they don't adopt the same the same attitude and behaviours. I don't think they will. I think they they know what they're doing. They're sticking to their their guns, which I really really think is the right way forward. I hope to see women's football getting more coverage going forward because it deserves it. I think as well, being a fan of it for so long, I think it's the right time for the the women's the Scotland women seem to be playing at Hamden. I think it's the right time for the, the prog that progression to take place. It's been progressing over the years, and I think now's the right time for it to happen. So, yeah, I really hope they continue to do what they're doing because they're, they're hitting it out of the park every chance they get. They've been outstanding in the past few years, and long may it continue. Kyle Gunn with Liam Kelly and Xander Clark been named in the Scotland squad alongside Craig Gordon. Are we seeing a change of regular national keeper with no Marshall or McGregor anymore? I still think Gordon will play. I think Gordon's probably the best keeper out of the three, but you've got the, the likes of Liam Kelly, who I've spoke about earlier on in the show. I think he's got the potential to be the next 
the next number one. I've always been a fan of him, even when he was at Rangers. He was, you could see he was, he had that ability to. He had a really good time at Motherwell as well. He's obviously went there permanently, but he had a at Livingston. Sorry, he was at Livingston for a while. He had an outstanding game against Celtic, so he could be. I think he could potentially be the next number one. So I would say Liam Kelly could be the next number one. Xander Clark's a terrific addition as well. You've got three really good goalkeepers. One who's coming to the end of his career but can still do a really good job. And two for the future. Liam Kelly and Xander Clark will be about for a while to come. And obviously you've got the likes of John McLaughlin as well. Obviously not there due to COVID. But Robbie McCrory, he's getting a terrific opportunity this week to, to show what he can do. It's probably not the the best circumstances for him to to take that opportunity. But again, he's got ability. There's a lot of goalkeepers. I keep forgetting the guy's name at Man City who's in the tip of my tongue. But I've been watching him at Man City's youth games and he looks to be a real exciting prospect. I think it's key in something. Somebody can let me know in the comments. But I would I would say he's a really, really interesting future. But there it's a, it's always I've always grown up with good goalkeepers. Alan McGregor, Craig Gordon, it's I think we need to see more goalkeepers coming through. So, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the next steps for the Scotland national team when it comes to the number one shot. Mavaline, what is stopping the local councils leaving up the goalpost during the summer to let the kids or whoever playing with the weather is good and giving them somewhere to go? As I say, I don't. I think you will see that more often. I think I don't think the councils have done enough over the past 10, 15 years to to really get footballers playing particularly at young, at young age, I think we need to see more of it. Again, that's something I've always said, why are they, why are they taking the nets down, give give players a chance, give youngsters a chance to play football. Because at the end of the day, and I'm, I, I don't know people like me, but when you were five and six years old and playing in, playing in a goal net, you were imagining you were playing at Wembley and things like that. You were imagining you were, you were scoring a winner at Hamden. Like, that's good for an imagination for a youngster. Like When you see youngsters now and they're, they're not playing football, they're in playing football on the computer. They're probably doing the same thing, but nothing beats playing, like having a ball at your feet and playing, because that's the best way you, you gain experience and gain talent, gain ability, because that's it starts, obviously, there's a lot been done for kind of mini kickers and things like that, and I think that they're doing really good jobs, but nothing beats playing outside with the sun in your back when you're a young, a young boy, young girl, playing, playing in a net, because you're imagining you're in a, the biggest stadiums in the world, and it's if you've got an imagination, then you should be allowed to, to thrive on it. So uh, hopefully that can change in the next few years. Colin Watt, on the basis of the success of the League of Ireland teams in Europe over recent years, do you think it's a model Scottish football should adopt for summer football or is the Conference League the boost the league needs to help close the financial gap? I don't see summer football happening. It's probably a good idea. I would be for it against it. I've not really thought about it, but the Conference League, it's obviously given the likes of St Johnston and Aberdeen tonight, a chance to reach a European competition. I, don't, I mean, St Johnston never done it. Aberdeen done it, I think it was 13 years ago. I think they qualified for the UEFA Cup. That's going to give them more of a chance to, to gain European experience. Summer football, I don't know if it would work in Scotland because you've got, I think, there's nothing. I think the real, the best thing about football for me is in Scotland is you've got the winter. I mean, if you didn't have the football in the winter, what would you be doing? You're in the house, you're not doing much, you kind of go out and, and walk and things like that. You football's on during the winter. That's probably I would I would always be an advocate for winter football, but I would if they've done a trial run or something, I wouldn't be against that either. But I don't see it happening anytime soon. Conference League, I'm a fan of. I 
don't think it'll boost the financial aspect. I don't think you're going to have a lot of money for qualifying for it. But it gives those teams European experience and gives them an option. If, if, you're out, if you went out of the Europa League, you were, that was you. Now that's not the case. I mean, you could, you could realistically have four teams, four Scottish teams qualifying for a European competition tonight. That's a massive achievement. So I hope they all do it. I hope they all, the Conference League gives them the opportunity to gain European experience. But when it comes to Summer League, I don't think that will happen anytime soon. Scottish Wrestling Network, who would be your top five wrestlers you would love to interview? CM Punk would be one of them. Undertaker, Stone Cold Steve Austin, John Cena, and fifth, Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette's an unbelievable piece of entertainment on YouTube and things like that. Terrific mind for the wrestling business as well, but listen to him and talking about anything, and it's entertaining. But yeah, those, those would be my five. Andy Jackson, what is the perception of the Colts' experiment so far in the Lowland League amongst the other clubs in the division? Uh, I think it must be. Um, I haven't spoke to many people involved in the Lowland League about it, but it seems to be a positive idea. The only thing that bothers me about it is I think Rangers and Celtic will run away with the league. And if the teams get promoted, then they're going to be finishing third because obviously Rangers and Celtic can't, can't get promoted from that league. I think the clubs will be enjoying the once we get back to full crowds, if they'll be getting a full, potentially full houses. If Rangers and Celtic aren't playing during the day and that the B team's on it at that time, I think a lot of Rangers and Celtic fans will be going to watch them. So the clubs will be will be making money doing it. So I think that'll be a positive side of it. Competitiveness, I don't know. I haven't spoken to enough people about it to get a definitive answer, but I can't see it doing any harm. I, I was an advocate for bringing back the Reserve League. Because I think, you, as I say, you get better playing with older people. I think you, you gain more experience, you gain more toughness, you gain, you gain a lot more aspects of the game while doing that. So I think it will be a positive thing. I don't know if it'll be a, a long-term thing, but if it is, then I'm not against it. So I think the clubs will be probably be happy because they're making a bit of money out of it. Chris Logan, given the context of clubs who have struggled to get, into the, get out of the Scottish Championship in the first attempt, how convincing or otherwise do you expect Kilmarnock to perform and gain promotion? I think they will shoot up, shoot up this season. I think they're the best team in the league. I think they've done the best business. I think bringing in the likes of uh, Ewan Murray, Blair Alston, uh, the guy uh, Scott Robinson at Liv- that was at Livingston, those are really good players. They've they've done well. Tommy Wright's a man who's been there and done it. He's he's kept St Johnson in the league for so long. He knows how to do it. He knows how to do it. And Kilmarnock should be in the top league. I think it was probably a a lesson for them how bad it got last season I don't think they want to be there again so I think they will shoot back up I think they've got the resources to do it I think they've got a tremendous fan base as well they've got a fan base who who are Premier League they want to be at that top level I think they I think a lot of them have stuck by I think I think the worry for a lot of uh, the club was last season that a lot of the fans would get bored of playing in the championship I don't think that's the case I've spoke to Wilson about it Wilson says that the crowds are going to go up. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I am I do expect them to, to go back up. I think they're good enough. I think they'll be the best team in the league. So I would imagine they are going to be back in the Premiership next season. James Wallace, do the bigger junior clubs really want to step up through the pyramid? The local games would go away and some of the what those clubs might be lost. Uh, that's one way of looking at it. I think there's potentially clubs who will miss that side of it. But again, they want to go to the, that next level. I mean, you look at likes of Auckland Lake, Glenarfton, Cumnock, particularly clubs kind of around about where I'm from and things like that. They want to, they, 
they love the aspect of playing each other, but they also want to make a progression. They also they've they've had it for so long. They've played each other every year for for years. It's they want to see what the next level is, and that's why this West of Scotland things can be around. I think it's a good thing. Those they're getting an opportunity to climb through the leagues. They'll still be playing each other for the next couple of years, unless you kind know, of one of them go up. But I think I don't think they'll lose that side of it because obviously you're going to be playing each other in cups and things like that. You're going to have other opportunities to play against other teams that you've been kind of you've been about for so long. But it's time to see what that next step is, and I think that's the the reasoning behind it. So. I think the, a lot of the clubs will want to do it. I don't imagine they'll have signed up for it otherwise, but that's that's my opinion. I think they all want to see where the next level is. Daniel Forbes, where the Celtics still need to strengthen. I would say they definitely need a new, another centre-back, at least another centre-back. I know they've signed Starfield and obviously Julian's injured, but I think they need a bit more strength and depth in that position. If one of them were to be injured, then they're relying on young players. And I'm not saying these young players aren't going to go on and have good careers at the club but I think they need a bit more strength and depth there. Left-back, I would say Greg Taylor is a decent enough player. I just don't think he's reliable enough to be that consistent number one. I think he needs a bit of competition. The ball and goalie incidents failed. Belt and ball and goalie incident just didn't work out. So I don't think, I'm amazed he's actually still there. But I think they need somebody else at left-back. I wouldn't be surprised if they sign another left-back before the end of the window. Uh, strikers in possession, worries me. I think they're fine in midfield. I think they've obviously done pretty well to... Obviously, if Christie was to go, I think they would need another midfielder. But the wingers, I would say maybe another left winger. I think, obviously, they've signed Furuhashi, but they don't have a lot of depth in that position. But I would say they're pretty much fine in midfield. If Edward was to go, you're left with Albion Ayeti and Lee Griffiths. And I know there's probably going to be an striker coming in this week, but if you, if, I would be surprised if Edward doesn't leave before the end of the window so I think they need at least two strikers I think they need a replacement for Edward and they need a, not a new striker anyway because I don't think you can rely on a Yeti and Griffiths certainly not Griffiths right now because obviously he's not the most popular fella at Celtic Park at the moment but also if you if you could rely on Lee Griffiths I don't think there would be an issue when we getting a year's contract I, I did see there was a bit more a bit of up and down about that whole decision but how many times have we said a fit, a, a fit and healthy Lee Griffiths is the best striker in the league? The problem with that is we've said that for too long. He's not shown that he's a, he's fit and healthy and Celtic can't rely on him then. So I would say they need at least two strikers before the end of the window. Brian Denning, what is the thing you love about football most and least? Uh, I just love... I love the fact that you can, you can invest in something and you just... It's, it determines your mood as well. Like, you've whoever you support. I love the fact that it just dictates everything about you. If, like, if your team loses, then that's you. If your team wins, then you're high for a couple of days. If, you're, if they lose, you're low. The least thing I... The least thing about football I love is... I don't really dislike much about football. I dislike sometimes the nonsense you get about, like, how it becomes other than football. It becomes... Like I don't know. That's maybe I, I don't really know how to answer that question because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of dislike about football. I dislike like silly, silly decisions and things like that. I dislike the way the the kind of VR and things like that's going. I don't think it's been used correctly. That's the thing that's annoying me. I don't think you can watch a game of football now, particularly in England. And when a goal goes in, you the first thing you're thinking of is how can this be disallowed. So that would be the thing I dislike the least about football. I love every. I love as much as everything about football, there's not a lot of things I dislike about it, so 
yeah, that's pretty much that question. I love just I love football. I love football. I can talk about football until I go to fair wake up to go to sleep. If, so if that's why I started this, so I could have a, a platform to talk about football and get people I know to talk about football with me. So that's football for me. Ori Blue, is sectarianism worse today than 60 years ago? No, I don't think it is. Now, again, I may be totally wrong, but I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I wasn't around 60 years ago, so I couldn't necessarily totally answer that question. But all I know is 60 years ago, you were probably, if you were Roman Catholic, you, were, you might not have got a job for that. I don't think that's the case now. I think vice versa. I don't when it comes to when it comes to the rivalry, I don't think the sectarianism side is bad. I think the rivalry is more personal than it's been, but I think that's down to other factors like so, you know, Rangers have been out of the leagues for a while and it's just became a bit more poisonous in that regard. But I don't think that's down to sectarianism. I do think it's still a problem. I think we, we obviously see it's still people do still sing the songs, people do still call people sectarian names. It's I don't think that will always, I don't think that will ever go away. I don't think that will ever be properly eradicated that it should have been. If it was, it would have been eradicated a long time ago. But it's nowhere near as, as bad as it was 60 years ago, in my opinion. I've, I've read a few historians on it, and they've said the exact same thing, that it's it's pretty much out, out of date now in Scotland. You don't see it as much. But, I mean, 60 years ago, you were probably going down the street in certain cases and being slashed and things like that for... For not for being one side of religion. I'm not a religious person, so I don't know how I don't really I know enough about it. I know obviously reading things like that, but I don't necessarily know enough about like how it affects people personally because it's not I don't really not that I don't care about it, but I'm not I'm not religious. I don't take things like that to heart. So no, I don't think it's as bad as it was six years ago for the reasons I've said. I don't think it's I don't think you would not get a job anymore because you're your one side of the, the coin, as I say. So that that way it's changed. It might be the same in other cases. I don't know, but no, nah, I don't think it is. I think I think society's changed as a whole. And that regard, you still see nonsense, you still see the nonsense songs and things like that. I don't think I, th- I think I, what strikes me about that is a lot of people sing those songs and don't know what they're singing about. I remember asking people about that when I was hearing people singing the songs and I would ask I've myself and a few other people would ask them do you know what that song means? And they would go, nah, I just like singing it. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the side of it we've all seen. We are a society right now where we don't know what we're singing about. And I think that's going to be the same for a, for a long, long time. I think generations will hear the songs and copy them and not have a clue what they're singing about. So, no, I don't think it's as worse as it was six years ago. Scott K, can you see a big club like Barcelona going bust because of the wage bill, etc.? And should there be a salary cap for the big clubs? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if so. I don't think they'll go bust, but I think the big problem with the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid is they don't have that government money that they were getting in recent years because of obviously the, the pandemic and things like that. I don't think that's the case now, but I think there probably should be a salary cap. I think salaries just went out of control. Again, is that not what financial fair play was meant to be for? Like, I don't know. I, I don't really think UEFA know how financial fair play works. So, again, they need to do something because Barcelona and Real Madrid, particular, I mean, Inter Milan as well, Inter Milan are in serious trouble. But these clubs are institutions. They should they rely on government bailouts. That's 
the reason they're struggling right now is because that money isn't there because obviously we're in a, a pandemic. That money's going towards better equipment, going towards PPE and food and things like that, where it should be going. But I think we will see something in the next couple of years because I don't think the likes are... That's obviously why the Super League was, was created, because these clubs need money. And that was an easy option for them. So I think with that being that being kind of dead on dead in the water, I think they'll need to do something because you could see some really, really dark times for these clubs in the next few years than what they're in just now. Ryan Dackle, what do you think of the recent Scotland squad? I've answered that already. I think it's a, a welcome addition. We like the goalkeepers in. Obviously, Ferguson's there as well. A lot more youth in the team. So, yeah, that would be... That would be probably the answer to that. Kevin McGrory, do you feel there should be more coverage of the amateur game in terms of people getting valuable experience within media roles? Uh, yeah, I mean the amateur game should be covered more. I think we're trying. We're trying to do that. We're trying to do it with Ayrshire. The problem we've we've got was if if we had the the people and the resources, we'd be covering every league in the amateur football in Scotland. But we just don't have the time and the resources and the people right now. So yeah, more people should be getting experience to do it. I think. I think as well, like you think, I'm using Ayrshire as an example, but I've been astonished by how many people have been, like, saying, "Oh, well done in doing amateur, recovering the amateurs." It's been badly needed. I've been wanting to do it for years. I think I've I've came from that opinion that there's not enough coverage on it. You, you get a wee bit in the Ayrshire Post, and obviously the, the different papers around about Ayrshire, but that's really it. I hopefully we hopefully can change that we hopefully well obviously and then match reports as well you're not going to find out in the paper unless they, they really write about it who scores the goals that's the first thing we've built a good few relationships with different clubs around the league so hopefully we can add more to that but yeah I think there should be more coverage in amateur game particularly outside of Ayrshire because I think there's plenty more people like us who can do it so hopefully they can they can do that as well James Taylor, what's your thoughts on the Sims deal? Do you think Scottish football is being undervalued? This is an interesting one because I do think Scottish football, the Scottish Football League needed a sponsor. I don't think they've got the, the best deal. I think they've took a really low ball offer from this company. I mean, we've seen how much they've given Tottenham Hotspur. And I think this deal could be a really bad one for the league. And I'm not saying they do need a sponsor. The clubs do need a sponsor. Um, but already we're seeing the, the the kind of different sides of this because obviously Rangers and the SPFL are now at it over this uh, since deal. I will explain what I know on that. But again, it's obviously a, a pending court case. I'm not going to go too much into it. There is obviously a conflict of interest between Sinch, who are a car company, and parts of Hamilton, who obviously the chairman of... Rangers is involved in parts of Hamilton. So there's obviously a conflict of interest there. So that's it's a, diff it's a difficult one to talk about because I don't want to go too much into it for fear of being sued or whatever. But it's a difficult deal. It's, I, again, it's better than having no deal, which they've had for the past three years. They haven't had a sponsor, which I think is laughable and shows, I think, the, there needs to be serious, serious questions put to these people for not doing that. They've got a sponsor. They've sent is obviously a a big company. They're now the, kind of one of the leaders in kind of, uh, second-hand cars and things like that. I don't really know enough about them. I just know that Rylan Clark does their, does their ads. That's as much as I know about Singe and their, what they do. But again, they, they should be they should be appealing. They've got one of the biggest games in world football in their, in their league, so they surely should be able to get a better deal than what they've got. But 
Again, we'll see how it goes, but I do think they've been undervalued. Yeah, I don't think they're pushing enough to get a better deal out of it. I think they're just taking the first deal that comes to them. Craig Smith, should more be done by the government to improve grassroots football, or is it the responsibility of Premier Clubs to improve our future stars? A similar population countries seem to be pulling away from this quality-wise. I think that's all down to coaching. I think that's simple. I always think... I'll add, James Leach has got a similar question as well. Do you think uh, personal professional clubs should send their coaches out to local community teams to assist the volunteer coaches? I've always said that. You need, you need proper coaches with good experience to be able to give these young kids the ability to, to move forward and progress in football. I spent almost my first experience with, with football was a coaching school. And there was a lot of really kind of experienced players at that and see the stories they were telling you and the what they were what you were learning from them. It made you feel so good and made you wanted to, I want to be like him, I want to be like her, I want to be that's that's what you want. As I say about imagination, I've got a very, very big imagination. I would pretend I was these, I was against these, I was against these people. I pretend I was playing in stadiums. There's I think a lot of it's too what's the word I'm looking for here? It's too micromanaged. I think there's a lot. I think coach. I think some coaches are coaching people out of football just by overcomplicating it. It's simple. It's it's simple. Keep it simple. Keep it fun. That's the thing. Keep it fun. Young young kids want to enjoy themselves. They don't want to be micromanaged at nine, ten year old because they're just going to fall out of love with it. And I think that's what you've seen in the past 10, 15 years. I know that's how I felt. I felt as if it was just uh, uh, this isn't fun. It isn't fun to play, to play football in this regard. So, not that I'm saying I would I would have went on and had a football career, I'm not saying that at all, but I lost a lot of interest for playing football because I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the coaching. I didn't enjoy how it felt at times, like a, a pals act, like, oh, you guys would only be there because of who their dad was and things like that. That's, that should be eradicated for the game. You need coaches who know the game and don't have a, a personal interest in that. that. They have obviously have a personal interest, but they don't, they're not playing a, a player just because of who their dad, who their son is, and things like that. Like that's not the way football. You need the best players should be allowed to flourish, and they should be coached properly. And I think the grassroots it needs to be from the start. You need to build these youngsters to have really, really fondness for football. Obviously, they watch it and they'll they'll want to be Lionel Messi. They'll want to be Cristiano Ronaldo. They need coaching to, to get there. I'm not saying they're going to get there, but they want they need to be coached. You need coaching. You, you need people who know what they're talking about. You don't just need guys who, who only do it because they've got a bit of free time. That's Again, I think that's why we've been failing in the past 10, 15 years. You need to see a lot of people now who know the game, know the know the future of football, know where, the, where football is going to go. Now, obviously, you, you get exceptions. You get guys who didn't necessarily have great playing careers but are really good coaches. I mean, I know a few who are that and are brilliant coaches. But they have that, they've had that experience. They've, I mean, there's guys that used to coach me at football who have never kicked a ball in their lives. And that, how can you learn from that? And I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that's difficult, but nine times out of 10, you need to have coaches who know the game and know, know the, the positives and negatives, who've had personal experiences and things like that, because that's how you get better. That's how you get better. That's how we need to move forward as a country. We need to see more players who, having good coaches. And I think we're seeing that now. I think there's a lot of, you look at the clubs, the kind of big clubs, there's a lot of players who've been there, a lot of guys who've had really good careers and 
football and coaching and that, and they've moved into being part of the big clubs and they're starting from like they're they're getting people in from a young level, and that's that's the way it should be. I think that's the best thing to do it. And the, obviously, you don't have the days of YTS, which a lot of people I've spoke to say it was the best time in their lives. Those days are over. You need to find the next step. Obviously, if it's pro youth or whatever, if it's another thing, you need to get these guys into, into football at a young age and you need to give them personal advice. You need to have them enjoying it because that's the only way they're going to succeed. That's the only way you're going to find the next Barry Ferguson, Paul Lambert, Andy Robertson, Billy Gilmer as well. They always said when they were, when they were young, they learned from good coaches. They learned from coaches who knew the game knew and made it fun. I'm not saying it becomes a carry-on, but you need to, if you're if you're going to somewhere and you're not enjoying it, you're going to not put the effort in. And that's where the coaches and the, the, the conveners and things like that, they need to make sure that football becomes that. It becomes enjoyable. Like, if you've got a young kid, I, I would love to, I would, uh, if, uh, down the line, if my kid wasn't going to foot was going to football, but he was saying I wasn't enjoying it, or he or she was saying I'm not enjoying it, then you'd be like, oh well, let's not do that then. Because but if they enjoy it, they want to get better at it. So let's try that. I'm not I'm not the expert, but I would say that with my opinion is make sure the kids enjoy it and give make sure they you give them every bit of experience and advice you can give them and help them enjoy playing football because that's where we're all at. And that will do us for the first episode of the question session right here on SM Media. Thank you very much to everyone who sent a question in. I hope I've answered every question that came through. We hope to be doing this show more often in the future. So if you've enjoyed the show, please give it a like and a share. As well as that, next time we're doing this show, please send questions in. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.